Daily Drive is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Find out what Reynolds is up to in the digital retailing space by visiting reyrey.com slash retail anywhere. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash retail anywhere. I'm Jamie Butters, Chief Content Officer at Automotive News, and this is Daily Drive for Tuesday, June 22nd, 2021. The journey to electrification and autonomy is a long and expensive one. Mark Wakefield at Alex Partners has referred to it as a profit desert that automakers must cross. Two years ago, he saw them planning to invest a combined $300 billion on the two technologies in the coming five years. Now they're planning to spend $330 billion on electrification alone, a 41% jump just in the past year. Although electric vehicles continue to cost $8,000 to $11,000 more to make than a traditional gasoline-powered autos, Wall Street is cheering automaker commitments to battery electric vehicle manufacturing. They're banking that governments will help support the transition and hoping the efforts will make the legacy companies better able to compete in a more carbon-neutral future with, well, Tesla. Tesla's unusual business strategies and CEO Elon Musk's habitual flouting of convention make apples-to-apples comparisons difficult. So Alex Partners adjusted Tesla's results using other publicly disclosed figures to examine whether the company would be earning profits on its automotive operations if it were structured more like its long-established peers. What would you guess? The annual Global Automotive Outlook also included a survey of auto industry executives from around the world and arranged risks based on the magnitude of the potential impact and by how prepared they are to face it. The changing economic landscape is seen as crucial, but there's another issue that's far more troubling. I asked Mark Wakefield about these matters and more when I reached him at his office in Southfield, Michigan. Hello, Mark Wakefield, and welcome to Daily Drive. Hi, Jamie. It's a pleasure to be here. So we have a lot I want to cover, but let's start with a little bit of a step back. In recent years, uh, you've warned of a profit desert that the industry is facing. Uh, electrification, especially all electric vehicles, require massive investments that uh, don't produce a lot of profits in the short to medium term. Uh, a couple of years ago, you were projecting $300 billion of investments, roughly, in uh, autonomy and electrification with dubious payoffs. And uh, now we've had this deadly pandemic and an ensuing uh, chip shortage. The supply constraints and strong demand has profits soaring for now. Mary Barra has talked about the need to make money on big pickups and SUVs now to fund the investments in EVs and AVs. So in mid-2021, I mean, where are we on this journey across that costly desert? Um, Yeah, we've, thanks, Jamie. It's a good question. And yeah, it can seem counterintuitive of, hey, we just had, you know, one of the best quarters, if not the best quarter ever in the first quarter, fourth quarter, if you'd look at a return on capital was was one of the was better than anyone in the last decade since you've got to go back before the the great recession um and so you'd say hey this is this is looking pretty good and if you looked at the market caps you know they're up they're, they're double what they were heading into the the recession so yeah it's a good question of hey where is this this profit desert um some of it is the the changed and most of it is the changed long-term view of um, of electrification and of the ability to compete in there. You've had, well, um, 
you know, the rest of the industry is up double. Tesla is up 1,500% in its market cap in that same period. And so there's a lot of pull along from them into a belief that there is this terminal value. Um, and that's the other side of the desert, right? That's the side where the, the sales per platform start to approach uh, the ICE, their internal combustion sales per platform, instead of where they are now, where there's about 20% of, of um, you know, an electric vehicle platform. So one that's, that's at least 50% of the volume is, is electric, is a battery electric. We consider that to be a, an electric platform that's really at 20% of the scale of what an average on average versus an average ICE one. And if you look deeper into that and you look at the Zoe and the model three, and you look at, at the Wuling, it's, it's very, very one-sided to just a few models that are at scale. So there is this sort of five to eight year journey, probably five years in Europe and China and, maybe eight years in, in the US of this profit desert to go through where you're seeing these massive investments. The thing we're seeing now is that the stock market is cheering when people are saying they're going to make these investments because they see them playing for the terminal value for the long run and are willing to see them through this, this desert with, with cheap financing and money available to put behind it. Um, so that's the longer term story. The near term story on the profits, of course, as you mentioned, we're in a highly capital intensive business and it's also you know, got a demand and supply aspect and demand recovered very quick um, with, you know, in the US, six trillion in government spending behind it. You know, that dwarfs the, the just over a trillion that was spent in the Great Recession and it happened, you know, in a finger snap uh, compared to, to the many years it took to roll out um, stimulus in, in the last decade. So massive, massive response has driven uh, and maintained uh, demand. In the face of that, um, we haven't had the ability to supply. And so mix has gone up, price has gone up. You know, Even though raw materials have gone up, the price per vehicle has gone up even faster. So about uh, almost 1,700 per vehicle globally, almost $3,000 per vehicle in pricing just in the US. That's the biggest driver of profitability really. Um, the CapEx was taken down about 10%, mostly things delayed and reduced, not necessarily all canceled, but the EV programs, you know, pushed ahead. So, you know, it's a, it's a near-term blip that we're seeing based on some really good supply and demand. Um, still a struggle now to, to supply enough and to, to not um, overdo the response by adding structural costs um, to deal with this short-term approach. But, you know, we're seeing the chip shortage having a sort of look at starting to recover in that fourth quarter where we start to chip way back, not really adding inventory, at least in the U.S., until like, you know, into, the, into 2022, really, uh, the first half of 2022, um, but at least starting to, to satiate some demand better in the U.S., so that's this, we're still in this a very good profitability recovery, V-shaped um, profitability recovery. But we do believe that the return on capital degradation that's been happening over several years from, you know, the 11 percent in the, the uh, suppliers down to eight going into the, in 2019. And then, of course, you know, down and up um, through the, the, through this, 
this pandemic. Similarly, with the OEMs, they were sort of fading coming into this and in, in a return on capital. We expect to see that, that for the next several years. They've sort of returned to that trend after about a, a year and a half of pandemic um, supply-demand uh, drop and then pop. So let's dig in just a little more on EVs. You, you've, you've mentioned the lack of scale uh, per platform, lack of you know uh, vehicles per platform uh, produced. And there's also a cost penalty on on the battery uh, alone uh, as a as a variable cost. Is that are those really the two twin factors? And you know how how long is it? How hard is it to get out from under those those you know we've made you've talked before about the progress in in closing the gap but it seems like it's getting closer or it's getting the progress is getting slower even as enthusiasm is high <laughs> uh, it's gotten harder to lower the raw material costs yeah it has it's uh I mean on the battery cost if if you look at the it's just been a tremendous success actually of taking the price down. But you're still hovering around that, you know, 140 to 160 dollar per kilowatt hour for the pack cost, and so you know, still a good distance from that that sort of magic hundred dollar mark, where at least the TCOs, the total cost of ownership, can get more neutral. Um, it's still more expensive to make the vehicle, but because of the the lower cost for fuel, you know, the energy, as well as lower maintenance, the TCO gets positive on an overall basis. There are TCOs that are positive now, though. You know, last mile truck, um, van. There's you know, commuter car, second and third car. There's various use cases and segments that are certainly positive now. On top of that, you've got tremendous incentives, both the stick and the carrot in Europe and in China in particular. Um, and you know, you saw the huge pop in the fourth quarter to try to to get closer to that that. Uh, that trend line down to the magic 95 grams per, per kilometer um, CO2. Huge push uh, in Europe to do that. And, and it's not a terribly profitable push in the near term, but it is supported quite a bit by, by governments either making a level playing field on the sticks um, and also pushing demand on the carrots. So definitely uh, a high cost Right now, uh, still a high cost in say 2025, 2026, and it gets around the hundred dollar per kilowatt hour pack. Um, but an inevitable march and a very impressive reduction of cost uh, in the last decade of, of batteries, a phenomenal um, track record of, of, of cost reduction. So it, a lot of confidence in the, the ability to get to that hundred mark. Um, on the scale side, you know, if you look at China and North, North America and, and Europe together, the big markets together, again, sort of 20% of an ICE scale right now, even going out to 2028, it's still about, you know, two thirds of the scale of an ICE at that point. The nice thing is by 2028, you see a, you see a, a for the nice thing for BEVs, at least for the investment of BEVs, is you've seen um, a continued march up of the emissions regulations of cities banning um, combustion engines, this sort of things. So the comparative cost of an ICE um, or the comparative regulatory burden against it is increasing every year. Um, so it's not a, a steady target. It's actually a, a softening target for BEVs to be hitting um, for when those lines cross over. And the profitability will presumably be there by then. 
Uh, yeah, the profitability should be there by then. Yes, and you're going to see more winners than just you know one or two per region. You know, you you should start now seeing a full a full spectrum of offerings of vehicles across most uh, well all spectrum all you know, all segments really in those three main markets. Um, and so you've got you'll have brand availability, you'll have segment availability, you'll have a lot more charging infrastructure. Um, and so hopefully an ability to move past the single family home owner. And right now it's extraordinarily difficult for anyone outside of a single family home who owns the home to uh, to really do um, electric vehicles in a cost-effective way on a TCO basis because your home and your work is kind of the, the two cheap places to, to charge typically. So with the work that you do and you draw from so many uh, resources within Alex Partners, and of course the relationships that that you and and your colleagues have throughout the industry, you generally don't comment on specific companies uh, because you have an unfair amount of insight (laughs) into their operations and their plans. Uh, But with this year's study, uh, you did uh, make a little bit of an exception, uh, breaking out some analysis on Tesla. Uh, What did did you find on Tesla and and why, why, why did you do that? Well, two reasons. One is the the, the we, we both first of all we didn't use any um, confidential information from Tesla. We did it all from an outside in on the uh, on the publicly available information. But um, the one of the reasons was we've had an inflection point in investment, um, both investment and and the the government resolve to push electric vehicles. So you know, we talked about this five-year window that we've been looking at year over year, and AVs and EVs. You took the EV component of it, um, the amount of investment automakers have put towards electric vehicles is grew 41% um, over a five-year period, from last year's five-year ahead look to this year's five-year ahead look. That's a, that's enormous. You know, 234 billion up to 330 billion. That's an enormous shift and an inflection point in the investment side. And of course, then one hopes the, the sales will be there um, for it. Um, part of that is being pulled along by, by governments, but also by the success of Tesla and the Tesla moving to cash flow positive. Um, and yet we still hear this discussion about Tesla being not a real business, not a real auto business. Now, um, if, so what we tried to do is, is basically decompose their financial statements into a comparable automotive only business. So an OEM that has a captive finance company, but take out the dealership aspect, take out the solar, the ITC credits, um, um, put in all of Musk's compensation, like to like. So it's it's trying to look like to like um, at a composite OEM. Um, and what you see is, is the scale benefit picking up and, and hitting it. So you know you see them them in last in the last year actually become really profitable to have an, a segment EBIT of two point four percent. Now that's nothing to write home at compared to the composite OEMs would be five point one percent as an EBIT uh, earnings before interest and taxes, um, but still an impressive actual profitability before credits again and before you know all the other aspects. So on a like to like basis. Um, you know, a profitable auto business that shows when you get to scale, um, you can actually make money on electric vehicles. 
Now, they also have pricing power, and they've done pretty good things with fixed cost discipline. As they're launching new vehicles, they haven't fundamentally increased their R&D and, and SG&A lines. It sort of stayed around the 3.3 billion-ish level um, for the last four years while they've been adding vehicles and, and plants to the, to the network. Um, so good job on fixed cost discipline, but it really showed the scale impact. And once you can get to scale, there is you know, a, uh, another side to this profit desert. We'll be back for more with Mark Wakefield after this. As online experiences exploded this past year, it was clear dealers needed an approach that kept them in business for the long term. Chris Walsh, Casey Edwards, and Dave Bates, Top Reynolds executives, sat down to discuss today's digital retailing landscape. Here's an excerpt from that roundtable discussion. So what are dealers trying to do to get this fully online and online to in-store experience? I mean, that's a great question. And honestly, it's, a, it's kind of a hard one to answer because retailers are kind of defining and using digital retailing differently. You know, to some dealers, it's selling a car. To other, it's sales and F&I. And they, they tend to be approaching it in chunks versus, you know, kind of a holistic, holistic approach. And then you end up just focusing on one or two things when you need to focus on, you know, more of a big picture. Digital retailing is dealership operations, period. Reynolds' Retail Anywhere approach focuses on streamlining dealership operations and improving profitability. For more information about this big-picture, holistic approach, visit reyrey.com slash retailanywhere. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash retailanywhere. So without getting you in trouble with any of your clients, I mean, is what are the lessons then for the incumbent automakers? Is it kind of like if you can get two factories running on one or two platforms, you can start to start to make money on EVs? Yeah, it remains a scale game. Um, and the OEMs are extremely good at vehicle integration, putting a vehicle integration uh, vehicle together. Um, and, and they're quite good at scale. The scale is, is fairly local, um, where you need supply fairly locally. So, you know, within a region, North America, Europe, China, for example, um, having scale on platforms, scale on plant, um, being able to, to get those efficiencies um, is, is really the, the target to move to before sort of saying, I'm going to cover all segments type of a approach to a portfolio strategy. And it means, of course, you've got to take that segment that you're trying to, to really get scale on, on a BEV um, quite seriously um, so that you put out a really winning product that's differentiated from the other BEVs coming in, but also gives people a reason to switch beyond the early adopters. So another element of the study that of this year's uh, global auto outlook that I thought was so interesting was uh, a survey of global auto executives about a variety of potential disruptions, including EV adoption, data privacy, new business models. One item stood out as a particular concern, tariffs and protectionism. What do you make of that? Is it just a, a Trump hangover or is there something more going on? Yeah, I think there's something more going on because this was this was a global survey of, of automotive executives from all regions. And in fact, I think we had more from Europe than from North America. Um, and and so there's certainly protectionism and issues going on in Europe. There are certainly, of course, the issues uh, with China, around China, um, and there's the uh, the issues of the U.S. 
uh, I think our our survey's response reflect um, the idea that things like electric vehicles and charging infrastructure and the new business models are are things that that automakers and auto executives and supplier executives can somewhat control and get their get in front of. Whereas they've found that the protectionism and tariffs and this sort of decomposition of this of the Davos man of you know, the global the globalization piece to say um, we're going to allow local champions and we're going to uh, not have to play globally if it doesn't make sense for us and it can make sense for one person to play in that country and not us. This sort of move um, at a top level, but then also at a supply chain level even to say I'm looking for more local scale um, and build for build where it's sold type thing. This trend um, is the way people are trying to attack it. It's not nearly as controllable um, though as the the way you can attack investment into electric vehicles or just you know moving to a software-based vehicle or new business models into uh, into how you're doing distribution and how you're moving to recurring revenue. These are things where the companies can can tackle them themselves, whereas the protectionism tariff, it's more of a defense game. And I, I hope I, I get the chessboard. I hope I read the tea leaves correctly. I don't know how much you, Doug, uh, were able to bore down with the survey respondents, but where do they see the biggest risk? Is it around the EU primarily or around the UK? Uh, each well, each region calls it somewhat different. So yes, there's there's the Brexit issues. There's also the the pivoting that they're seeing in each country, um, being more willing to look out for its own industry. Um, you know, this was a survey taken, um, you know, about between six to four, uh, four to six months ago. Um, so it had some, of course, element of uh, the election in the U.S., but also trade tensions in China. Um, but even if you look at, at other ones, when you decompose them, you had very different reactions in different areas. So, you know, most executives were really not concerned about shifting consumer demographics and incomes, but then you look at China and that was actually the biggest impact concern, uh, of executives in China was, was the consumer demographic shift and income shift. Uh, they were also more worried about regulations and politics than they were about, protectionism per se and tariffs per se. And so you did see a bit of a bifurcation of, of Europe and North America um, versus uh, the Chinese executive. Well, there's so much more I'd, I'd love to ask you about and, and I will at another time, but right now we have to wrap up and uh, Mark Wakefield, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining Daily Drive. It's a pleasure, Jamie. Anytime. That's Daily Drive for Tuesday, June 22nd. For the latest breaking news online, go to autonews.com. And for a complete library of more than 300 Daily Drive interviews, go to autonews.com slash daily drive.